Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Lightning fans, you found the right show for everything you need to know about your favorite team in the NHL. It's the Lightning Insider Podcast with Eric Erlinson. Get ready for insight, historical perspective, interviews, and breaking news that comes from a reporter insider who's got near 20 years on the Tampa Bay Lightning beat. Now for the latest with the Lightning, here's Eric. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the LightningInsider.com podcast. I'm Eric Rowlandson from LightningInsider.com, along with Greg Vanelli from Lightning Power Play and Lightning Radio, pregame, postgame, intermission host on all Lightning broadcasts. You can hear on iHeartRadio as well as on locally 970 WFLA in the Tampa market. We're coming to you after a long stretch of games for Tampa Bay. They came at us fast and furious, five games in seven days. The Lightning played an unprecedented schedule. I can't remember in the number of years that I have covered this team, this franchise, having to play five games in seven days, which of course means two sets of back-to-backs. And lo and behold, the Lightning come out with a four-in-one record. I call that a win for the week. And with that, let's bring in Greg. Greg, five games in seven days. How's your voice? Man, I tell you what, I I did start to lose it a bit during that time. And I think it's just because... You know, I've got two two little ones and, you know, they bring home everything under the sun sometimes. But Ooh. it was it was a grind. And not to say our job's hard because it's not. It always gets me thinking when you start talking about these players and what they're going through. And I appreciate the league trying to get this season in. But I always wonder, you know, trying to just have fun with these topics and think about something new is what are what's going to be the after effects if any, on these athletes beyond this year. I mean, I, I think this year there's a real question as to what type of hockey are you going to see come playoff time? Because the injury bug is going to be there. Fatigue is a real thing come playoff time. And now you're telling guys who have played a lot of hockey in a short amount of time to notch it up even more. Watch out for the injuries. I'm not just talking about the lightning. I'm just talking about in general. What type of hockey are we going to see during the best time of the year? And to go a step further, what are the after effects for next year? Because I, I do think while we've tried to protect these athletes from COVID, I think what we've ended up doing is probably putting more stress on their body physically with a condensed schedule. And I, I'm wondering if the trade-off was worth it. And I we can talk about solutions down the road if we want to do that here. I don't know what the league could have done outside of Did they really want to cancel this year? That wasn't really an option. Perhaps maybe spreading these games out a bit more and just looking at it more practically and saying, you know, this is a grind. And and as Rick Bonus says, I I keep going back to what he said. uh, must have been a month ago. It's not normal for hockey players to play these many games in this short amount of time. And I I just wonder, what are the effects going to be? Not only this year, but for next year, too. There's no doubt, even the best conditioned athletes, this is a tough stretch. This is a tough season, especially for a team like Dallas because of the 
COVID-related issues at the beginning of the year and then the weather-related issues that also postponed four other games, that it will have an effect on the players. I, I think I saw uh, something to come across my timeline the other day about injuries are up 12 to 15% over normal. And I don't know what the parameters of that chart that I saw were based on, but I do remember seeing that. So there's no doubt that it, you know, the muscle related issues are probably um, the biggest thing to kind of keep an eye on for these players. And, you know, the playoffs, I think once you get to the playoffs, I think it's a, it's a bit of a different situation um, because of the adrenaline that players get from being in the playoffs. How about the last, four weeks of the season. You're going to get past the trade deadline that's coming up here in a couple of weeks. Um, but teams are going to play. I mean, you know, we talked about five and seven for Tampa Bay. I think Dallas has played like their last 40 games in like a 72 game, 72 day stretch. So they'll be in that's effect. Abnormal. That's it's, abnormal. It's not rich. Yeah. It's, it's very abnormal. Um, other teams aren't going through quite that part of a condensed situation, but we know that, you know, both Carolina and Dallas had situations where they had to shut down. So it's affected uh, every, pretty much every team in the central with the exception of Detroit and Chicago. They're the only teams I think in the central that didn't have any of their games disrupted by any of that. Um, so uh, I, I think you will see an effect. Uh, look, we, we saw Ryan McDonald leave the game on Sunday against uh, Florida after the first period. And we don't know what it was. I, I went back and, and watched his last couple of shifts. I didn't see anything that stood out. So I'm not wondering if that's maybe a, a muscle related situation with him. Um, and then of course, you know, when I, I think the biggest thing to kind of keep an eye on is the two teams that make the finals in particular with July 9th being the latest possible day to end the Stanley cup final. Doesn't mean it'll go to July 9, but that's the, the target range that they'll be in, it'll be by far the shortest off season they've ever encountered. You're going to go from July 9th. If that's game seven of a Stanley cup final to have to turn around and get ready for a training camp at the beginning of September, because they're going to want to put the schedule back on track. And that's the biggest thing to me is the teams that go deep into the postseason. How quickly can you recover from a, a playoff grind? And this is, you know, the bubble didn't have any travel, right? So there was no back and forth. That's not going to be the case this time this year because there, there will be travel involved of some uh, capacity for these teams. So that's going to add some wear and tear uh, on their bodies as well. And, um, yeah, I, I think next season will be the interesting one. Yeah, and I, I know we, we have some other things we want to get to, and I don't want to dwell on it too much, but I'm wondering if one of the things the league could have done to help the players navigate these waters when it comes to their rosters. Do you think they should have expanded the taxi squad a bit more? Because one of the things you and I have discussed is this juggling act of dealing with the salary cap. And, you know, sometimes maybe you can't make a move because you're right up against the cap or only you can make a couple of moves on your taxi squad because of the cap situation you're in. Understanding this situation wasn't because these NHL teams e mismanage money. This was in many ways a self imposed um, situation by the NHL because of a pandemic that was affecting everybody around them. I'm wondering, do you think there could have been a little bit more leeway when it came to expanding the taxi squad to alleviate some pressure for these NHL teams so they're not juggling consistently and all the time with their roster to become cap compliant because it's through no fault of their own 
And now, as we've always said, if you wanted to rest one guy or two, that's basically the most you can do in today's NHL because of the flexibility you have. I'm wondering in this year where circumstances dictated you had to go a certain path, if they should have been a little bit more flexible with how many guys they could have put on the taxi squad and maybe a little bit more flexibility with the salary cap? Oh, uh, boy, that, that is a tough one because I think I think the cap is the biggest issue involved there. You know, teams were bleeding money. And, you know, again, it's not the fault of their own, but... Right, through no fault of their own. I mean, we've seen bailouts with other people not playing sports by different governments. And some of it was enough, some of it wasn't. I, I'm, I don't know what the right answer he was. I, I guess what I'm saying is, do you look at this year and say, you know what, teams aren't bringing in as much revenue. We understand this isn't their fault. This is kind of a, a nationwide thing. And that we have to be a little bit more understanding. I'm not telling you, you kind of take advantage of the cap in, in, in any way, in a big way. But I think maybe some flexibility needed to be given, especially when we start coming to the end of the year, when you probably want to be resting players a little bit more and probably playing some other guys uh, because of what we just talked about with the injury situation. Well, and that's where I think like, I mean, the taxi squad is up to seven players. So you can carry, well, technically six because one of them has to be a goaltender. So you can carry up to six extra players. I think that's enough. The, the maneuverability has to be around the cap because Tampa Bay is not the only team that's dealing with situations where they can't really, they don't have a lot of flexibility to do much. Right. Of anything. I mean, we heard Julian Breezebois, they have zero cap space to even, you know, consider at the trade deadline and anything has to be dollar in for dollar out. So we know uh, that they're, they're tied against the cap and there's plenty of other teams that are in the same situation. Toronto's in the same situation. So, uh, I think that was where things would had to have been, but then then you start to get into CBA related issues that have to be negotiated and back and forth, and um, you know. So I, I think teams have the maneuverability from a roster standpoint. Um, you know, maybe maybe they shouldn't have treated these these taxi squad players as if they were in the minors, but you know, it, because then you get, then you have the waiver wire has to come into play. That's, that's why point. that's why I think we didn't see Jamel Smith as much as we probably should have because he'd have to be put on waivers. You know, it's the same reason why Alex Volkov, who's only played once in the past week and a half, you know, has to sit on the active roster because if they want him to even put him on the taxi squad, he has to go through the waiver situation. So I think that's that's the thing where they could have maybe move things around a little bit in, in terms of the waiver situation, because Tampa Bay's kind of handcuffed on what they can do. You know, we've seen a couple of times this year. I mean, Ross Colton, every time he doesn't play, he gets transferred over the taxi squad. And then on game day, they activate him. And, you know, for him, that's a big deal because there's a big difference between his NHL salary and his NHL salary sure. you know, from a business standpoint. Um, you know, so I, I think if they were going to do that, it would have to be cap uh, uh, cap related in, in some capacity to give them maneuverability. I think that's fair. I think it'd have to be with the cap. You make a very good point. The taxi squad and the number of players probably isn't the issue. It might just be the flexibility you can get with moving guys back and forth. Because I think if there's one year where you're really going to need it, I mean, you can make a case. The Lightning may sacrifice. I'm not saying they're going to do this. They probably won't. But hypothetically, you could almost make the argument that the Lightning could sacrifice first place or second place 
for the betterment of the health of their team. I mean, they could. They could sit there and say, listen, we're going to be in the playoffs. I don't know how much first place means to us, more so than what if we were to give Vasilevsky or Hedman or McDonough or Stammer or Point maybe a couple of nights off towards the end of the year. And if you don't have that flexibility, I'm just saying that's a shame when we probably should have been giving a little bit more flexibility to teams and players. That's yeah. It. Well, and then, then you have players mentality too. They don't want to sit, right? Like they don't you're want right. to. You're right. For I, sure. Marty, Marty St. Louis. And I, and, and I'll, I'll remember this for a long time in 2011, when Guy Boucher was the head coach, he was still in the middle of an uh, extended consecutive games played streak. And they considered because their last game of the year meant nothing in Carolina. They were locked into that five position. They knew they were locked up against the Pittsburgh Penguins. Um, you know, so there was no concern for them in the standings. It meant a lot to Carolina because if they won, they made the playoffs. If they lost, the Rangers made the playoffs. So it had some meaning, but they were more concerned about themselves. And they said, yeah, we're, we're, we're considering, you know, giving Marty a night off and, you know, maybe a couple of other players as well, because it's post-trade deadline, your rosters are expanded. Marty's like, I'm not sitting out. No, you're not yeah. sitting me out. I, I want to play. So, you know, you have to have yeah, – yeah, sometimes play. you do have to save the players from themselves, uh, but players want to play. The, the, the biggest thing with me is, okay, if Ryan McDonough is going to miss any time, and we don't know that yet, we probably won't know the answer to that until Tuesday, depending on people are listening to this. But Victor Hedman – who already logs a ton of ice time is going to have to play more just because of the role that Ryan McDonough takes on this team. When we saw it in, in the game on Sunday against Florida, Victor Hedman ended up with 29 minutes. Keep in mind, that was the second game of back-to-back. And that's the second time this year, Victor Hedman's been over 29 minutes in the second half of a back-to-back situation. So now all of a sudden you're asking more burden from him. <clears throat> so do you have to find a way to kind of tell him, Hey, you know, Bring it in a little bit. And then I don't know if you take away some of their competitiveness or, or whatever. So it, it is something interesting to kind of keep an eye on uh, for teams that are in the playoff situation, especially for teams in the central, because let's face it, one, two, and three in some capacity is going to be Tampa Bay, Carolina, and Florida. It's, it's all about who's going to finish in that fourth, fourth spot. So those three teams here on March 22nd, as we record this, pretty much can have that little X by their name to say they've clinched the playoff spot because they're in. So, you know, when do you, do you, do you worry about first, second or third yeah. vision? Uh, and then, you know, how, how teams manage that will be interesting to keep an eye on. You know, and maybe this is all for naughts and I'm sure big picture, maybe the, the coaches and the players aren't thinking about this because their job is to win games right away, but it is a war of attrition. And I do think it's going to be something to keep an eye on. That being said, you mentioned about this five games and seven nights stretch. I felt like Sunday's game lasted forever because of all the scoring chances we saw in the first two periods, uh, Tampa Bay and Florida. And, you know, there've been a lot of talkie about where's the rivalry between these two teams. And uh, I think we're starting to see that that Florida team, they're a really good team. I I think they have a lot of similarities to Tampa Bay. I think the biggest difference for me is going to be the goaltending, but from a pound for pound player for player comparison, I don't know if Florida's on the same wavelength just yet with the talent, high-end talent that Tampa Bay has. But, E, I got to tell you, it is pretty close. It is not a slam dunk. And if Bobrovsky gets his head on straight for a seven-game series, if those two teams are playing, that would be a hell of a matchup. It would be. 
Florida's got some talent on their back end. You know, everybody talks obviously about Barkov and Huberto, um, what they're able to bring and what Carter Verhage has brought to that lineup with 12 goals already now for, for Carter in a first line role for Florida. But if you look at their back end, um, you know, I, I know Dave Michigan's best friend, Aaron Ekblad um, <laughs> is off to, uh, you know, he's got 10 goals already. You know, he's, yeah. he is off to a great start. Um, and, you know, he's a former number one, uh, overall number one pick. And I'm not comparing him to Victor Hedman, but the last time these two teams played, not last night, but the time before, when Sun Sports put up a graphic comparing Aaron Ekblad and Victor Hedman at the same point in their careers, numbers were pretty comparable, offensively anyway. Um, you know, I, I think Victor Hedman is by far a better defender than Ekblad, but there's still, you know, that's a lot of talent there in, in Aaron Ekblad. And, you know, you add in the veteran savvy of an Anton Strallman and, you know, what... Um, Radko Gudas is brought to that back end. I mean, Alex, yeah, Alex Kalorn said it after the game. He said they they've got a lot of talent on their back end, and yeah, they do. I think, I think teams are, you know, you always talk about building up the middle from a goalie out, and if you have defensemen who can move the puck the way that Florida does, and you've got some talent up front like they do, it's a good combination. And you know, we've seen them four times now. The two teams have split the four games. There's four remaining games, uh, including one that still needs to be rescheduled um, from late in May or from, uh, you know, right at the end of the regular season. Uh, those games are going to have some meaning. They're going to have some bearing on who finishes where in the standings. But uh, yeah, there, I, I hope that these two teams meet. I'd like for it to be in the second round, not necessarily the first round, because I'd like to see at least these two teams get into a, 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 a divisional semifinal situation uh, and face each other, because I, I think it would be a very fun seven game series. And I've said it before, it'd be great for the state of Florida to just to kind of put hockey on a little bit more of a, a meet from a media standpoint, get, gaining some more attention that maybe they haven't had in the past. Well, you have everything. You have everything with these teams. You have uh, two coaches who have won it all. I mean, there's a respect factor there. You have now both teams, I think, are very comparable talent-wise. And if it's in the same state, these are the biggest rivalries out there. You take a look at Pittsburgh-Philadelphia. For me, those are big-time rivalries. Why? Well, look, there were star players, and both teams were competitive. But you had that distance e, that, that made it where if you were in Pittsburgh, you could drive to Philly and vice versa. So I think... This has the makings of being really, really competitive, and it's getting nasty, which is good to see. I think when you take a look at Florida, they've got a couple of former Lightning players on that team who are playing very well. Verhage has given them another dimension offensively, no question. Strawman, I thought, looked good on Sunday, and maybe he is back to where he was when he was playing at his highest level in Tampa Bay. You know, sometimes that leg injury can take a while for you to feel back get back to where you were. I'm not saying he's there necessarily, but he looked good. He looked better than when I can remember uh, the last year or so. And Gudis is everything that provides a rivalry when it comes be to being nasty because he's a guy that plays over the line. He doesn't mind hitting you. And I think the Lightning understand what he does. As I said before, the biggest thing for me is what do they have in net? Talk to George Richards the other day he, um, from Florida Hockey Now, and he thinks they need to address their center depth that you know, after Barkov, there is a drop, and maybe they deal from a position of strength from their back end. I don't know, but that might be a team to watch to see what do they do at the trade deadline because I think the additions of Verhage and Patrick Hornfist have been huge, and it's given them an identity. They're tough to play against, and they give Tampa Bay some problems. Vice versa, too. Let's make no mistake. I think the Lightning give Tampa Bay or Florida some fits, but that would be an entertaining series, and I think. What we saw on Sunday 
particularly the first two periods, that was a lot of fun. And thank goodness Curtis McElhaney was playing really well. Well, I was just going to say that they, the, you know, Tampa Bay played that game without Andre Vasilevsky. It was with yeah. Curtis McElhaney and Curtis McElhaney has been sort of the topic du jour among lighting fans the last couple of weeks because of, you know, the, how the team has played in front of him. I'm, I'm not even putting it a lot on McElhaney. Some of it is, is him, but you know, I'm going to give the benefit of the doubt to a guy who didn't play for 11 calendar months, had to sit on the COVID list for two weeks away from the ice, away from the teammates, away from seeing pucks. You know, it was going to take a while for him to get his game back up, but I'm not declaring Curtis McElhenney back to being the guy we all expected, but the performance he put on Sunday night, I think should instill uh, more confidence in, in lighting fans. And that's more of the guy that Tampa Bay signed as the backup last summer to be behind Andre Vasilevsky and, you know, gave his team a chance to win. I mean, the save he made on Alex Wenberg, uh, three on one, the shorthanded save. I mean, that was a great save. He did everything but catch the puck in his glove, but be able to slide across and look, we're spoiled because that's a save that we know Andre Vasilevsky can make because there's probably nobody better in the league moving post to post at Andre Vasilevsky. And then you factor in his long arms and his long legs. He can cover so much ice. So to watch Curtis McElhaney do that, I think was a great sign to where his game is getting back to where he's comfortable with and where the team is comfortable with trying to build it back up. And I got to tell you, it cannot be easy for him because of all the things we just mentioned about the 11 months between games, the COVID list. Now he has to find a way to build his game up with no practice time. This team has not had a full practice since they were in Detroit two weeks ago because of the schedule. The old adage rest as a weapon is being put to full use here by the coaching staff because of, you know, the number of games that they're playing a short period of time. So they're not getting the guys on the ice. They're not having full morning skates. You've had three, four o'clock starts. So you're not getting that aspect in. So at best, Curtis McElhaney is seeing shots from guys like Alex Volkoff or Mitchell Stevens or, you know, whoever the scratches and the injuries who are out on the ice. That cannot be an easy thing for a goalie to try and find his game. You can't do it by watching videotape. And you can't do it by seeing, you know, even if it's a, 400 shots in practice with only four players you can't replicate a game so for him to put the performance on last night I think is a is a huge step forward for him and hopefully for people to understand Curtis McElhaney is a very very capable and experienced backup in this league and that performance should let people know that's the real Curtis McElhaney yeah and I think you and I haven't really had any issues with McElhaney as the goaltender. I know it's been the big talking point, as you pointed out. I think the biggest reason for that is because Tampa Bay has been relatively solid this year. So you have to look for a perceived weakness. But I think everything you just said about the lack of practice time and then playing behind a guy like Andre Vasilevsky, and let's face it, the team's not as great defensively in front of him as they are with Vasilevsky. Although I will, I, I think, <laughs> listen, I think that's an interesting point because I think it's something you and I can get into about is Tampa Bay. Are they as good defensively as their numbers suggest, or does Vasilevsky still cover up a lot of warts? And I think that trickles down to McElhaney because I think Tampa Bay's improved defensively. Don't get me wrong. And what they did in the bubble last year was pretty exciting. But I think they are prone to the turnovers, as we've seen, depending on which team they play. So your goaltender has to be pretty sharp. McElhaney's not Vasilevsky. We understand that. But I think McElhaney's been solid. And I think that's all you can ask for when it comes to your backup goaltender. Does he give you a chance to get points? Not wins necessarily, points. And I think for the most part, he does that. And as long as he continues to do that, I'm fine with him 
uh, running out there every so often to give Vassie a break. Yeah, first of all, this notion about a team plays differently, and I know you didn't bring this up, but there's a notion out there that the team plays differently in front of McElhaney compared to Vasilevsky, and that is absolutely not the case. And I give you as my exhibit A, Saturday's game against Chicago Blackhawks. How many times did they turn the puck over to Chicago in dangerous situations and Andre Vasilevsky kept them off the board? I mean, do not sit here and tell me that the team plays differently in front of one goaltender compared to the other. It is just one goaltender has the capability of covering that up maybe more than the other. And again, that is not a knock on Curtis McElhaney. That is praise for Andre Vasilevsky because of the type of, of goaltender that he is. So uh, the numbers from a defensive standpoint, yeah, Look, this is not the 77, 78 Montreal Canadiens, you know, defensive standpoint. Uh, it, it, and it's hard in, in, in the, the way the game is played nowadays to, to be that type of a team. Um, but, you know, they are more improved. But Vasilevsky is the reason that the numbers are a little bit better. If you look at his expected goals rate and the number of goals he saves above, like it's not even close for Vasilevsky compared to the rest of the league. I, I think my son actually looked up the numbers uh, on Sunday and I think uh, Vasilevsky's goal saved above expected is about 13, where the next closest goaltender, who I think is uh, Lincoln in Chicago, is about an eight. So it's not even close in terms of the numbers uh, that Andre Vasilevsky is putting up. Um, so it's, it's, uh, it, Tampa Bay is not a great defensive team. They're better defensively. They know how to protect leads. That's the one thing I look at. You know, you look at the third period against Chicago on Saturday. They just absolutely locked the Blackhawks down, held them to five shots on goal in the period. So they have the capability of doing that in games to be able to revert back to that style that can kind of slow teams down a little bit. Uh, but at the end of the day, 88 is the reason why, you know, their, their defensive numbers look so much better. Well, and this is where I, I think when we talk about the MVP discussion with Vasi, this is where his numbers don't do him justice because you physically have to watch these games live. And if you're going to come away with what he did, you know, his last start and say, well, look, he only gave up one goal or he only gave up two goals. That's typical Vasi. The Lightning are a really good team. They're going to win most games. And he's a product of that team. Then you're really doing yourself a disservice because when you watch the games, you understand that Vasilevsky makes four or five special saves that most teams don't make. And that happens on a consistent basis, which is one of the reasons I keep going back to, he needs to be in the MVP conversation. Look, if he doesn't win it, that's fine. I'm, I'm not going to be disappointed. I'm not going to lose sleep over it. What I'm telling you is a goaltender of this caliber playing on a team like this, the record that Tampa Bay has put out, I think in many ways overshadows how good Vassy has been and how much they do need him. And maybe you have to take a look at the drop off and performances when it comes to Vassy and uh, McElhaney, or it could have been Vassy and Deming, even though Deming had that long win streak that Vassy now tied. I, I think it's something that more people need to take a look at because in my opinion, uh, there's no player who's more valuable to his team at this moment than Vasilevsky, and I'm including a Victor Hedman, I'll include a Braden Point, anybody else out there you want to throw there, because we have seen the drop-off in goaltending, and this team isn't the New York New Jersey Devils of the 90s when they're trapping and they're stifling teams, and Brodeur only has to come up with 18 to 20 saves a night. He's got to come up with a lot of high-quality chances, and I think it's something that more people need to take a look at, and I'm glad you brought up those metrics, because I'm not a huge metrics guy, but if there are more metrics that speak to how good Vassy has been during this type of year, 
then I hope more people look at those and say, wait a minute here, look at these numbers. He's playing beyond what he typically plays, and maybe he is covering up some weaknesses on this Lightning team to a degree that we're not recognizing. And then maybe you give him a few more votes. Yeah, and let's let's give you the numbers in full fledge here because uh, again, this is courtesy of my son who looked it up last night. So Vasilevsky's high danger save percentage uh, during five on five play is nine eleven, and that doesn't sound high. That's spectacularly high. Those are those are the best chances teams create against Tampa Bay. His save percentage is nine eleven. The next closest player is Cal Peterson with eight eighty two. So there's a point three. You know, difference. It's a, it's a significant jump from one to the other. Uh, Vasilevsky has a 949 save percentage at five on five. The next closest with a minimum of 15 starts again is Cal Peterson in LA with 937. So that's a pretty significant difference in five on five save percentage as well. And then the last one, this is more tuned in. I gave you this one, but this is the exact number. So his Vasilevsky's goal saved above average is 16.59 at five on five play. Lincoln in his second at 8.82. It's, it's staggering how far ahead of the field that he is. Um, but the thing is, is like, I know how the voters think it's not going to matter. It is so hard for a goaltender to win the heart trophy, to even be considered for the heart trophy. And yeah, voters might look at those numbers, but then they're going to say, yeah, but he's on a really good team. Like for a goalie to have to be considered for the MVP, you have to think of Dominic Hoshik. You know, I think what the last goalie was um, Jose Theodore, right? No, it was a Car- right. Carey Price. Carey Price did win the heart, uh, but it's been Montreal goaltenders have been the last two because Jose Theodore did it in 2004. Um, so it's it's extremely difficult for goalies to be into that consideration. And then when you factor in the Connor McDavid situation, he, he's going to garner uh, enough votes. And I, I guess what my son is trying to say here is hopefully, you know, from a Lightning uh, fan standpoint, that maybe McDavid and Matthews split the votes. And that kind of gives a door for things to open up for an Andre Vasilevsky. But I know how the voters go. I've been a big part of that voting pool for a number of years. And it's just difficult for a goalie to have consideration. No doubt. When you look at the team that he's on, they're going to factor that in as well. It doesn't matter what those numbers are going to say. But he does belong in the conversation. I just don't. He's not. He's not going to be. He probably won't even finish as a finalist. You're. You're probably right. I, I'm not. I'm not. You know, expecting him to win it. But I, I am saying that I think people need to get off the pedestal that because the Lightning are really deep and really talented, that somehow Vassy is a product of that more so than the team is a product of Vassy. And I, th- I think it's a yep. fair, I think it's a fair thing to bring up. It's a really good team, but they give up some chances. Do I think we've seen that this year. And John Cooper, I think has talked about this. I think he's annoyed actually with how well or how poorly they have defended over the last couple of weeks. Again, some of that could just be the schedule. Some of that is the way things are playing out with your team. You're not going to be perfect every night, but I know Vassy's been there more times than not. And it's been fun to watch. And you know, that was uh Probably it's been the difference uh, this year for this team getting off to a decent start and an excellent start. Yeah, and, and I think that what we've seen over the last few games, I think, is a mental fatigue. I mean, we, we've seen two pretty egregious turnovers by Andre Pilat, and that is not something that we're accustomed to seeing from a player of his caliber who's so reliable. So I chalk some of that up to uh, mental fatigue. The interesting one for me to watch, if we're going to talk about voting situations for awards, is Victor Hedman. Because if he doesn't win the Norris in a runaway, 
I don't know what voters are looking at. And um, he, because I, you know, I said this the other day in watching the way he played against Dallas on Tuesday, especially the way that he defended Alexander Radulov, uh, when Radulov looked like he had a step on him and, and, and Hedman is able to kind of, you know, get a stick around and disrupt the play and then take the puck away from a pretty dangerous offensive player. He is, he doesn't get enough credit for his defensive play. So he, to me, he is a defensive defenseman who scores like a second line center. And he'll maybe get a little bit more attention this year because he's currently leading all defensemen in scoring. So that'll gain some attention. But he doesn't get enough credit for the way he plays at both ends of the ice, which to me should be the ultimate definition of a Norris Trophy candidate is how well do you play at both ends of the ice? And I'll be interested to see how the voting breaks down because, you know, like I told my son, Tyson Berry's going to get votes simply because of the point totals he's putting up with an, a very talented Edmonton team. And, you know, look, when you've got McDavid and Dreisaitl, it's easy to kind of to, to pick up some assists. But you watch Tyson Berry's going to get some Norris consideration simply because of that when we know he's not very good in his own end. And to me, that's that's a that's one of the weaknesses of how voting has turned out the last number of years, specifically for that, that trophy, the Norris trophy. Um, I, I don't think the guys that play good defense get enough credit. It's all about the offense. And I don't think that defines a defenseman. Yeah. I mean, if you were going to throw in good defense, Ryan McDonough probably would be up there a few more years than he typically is because of what he does defensively on most years. So I, I think you're absolutely right. I think the, also the interesting question for me with these awards, not that it, we lose sleep over it is is there a bigger canadian bias this year than in previous years because of the bubble <laughs> yes, that there will are, be yeah because of the bubble that we are in i mean you mentioned you know victor hedman is there anybody playing better than him i gotta be honest see outside of the lightning's division this year and it's something you brought up i i i, I don't know maybe there is <laughs> maybe there is somebody over uh, out in the west that is playing at a very high level we're just not we're not watching everybody this year and i think that's why maybe do do writers, do broadcasters, do executives who vote on these awards, do they put a little bit more stock this year on the metrics? And again, I hate to do that, but let's face it, to be fair, we're not all watching these teams the same way we do just because of circumstances. So you mentioned Hedman. I'm not going to disagree with you on that. We've talked about Vassy, those high danger opportunities, those high danger saves. Is somebody from Toronto going to look at that a little bit more and say, man, you know what? Let's hold off on this Connor McDavid talk. He's also going against some pretty bad defenses. Uh, let's look at what Vassy's doing here. And boy, that's impressive. I, I don't know. I, but I, I think it's something to at least consider when these these awards are being, are being chosen. Don't be left out. Make sure you subscribe to the Lightning Insider on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else where podcasts are found. Now, here again is Eric. Yeah, it, it, it's it's unfortunate that uh, the way things are set up this year. You're right. I I haven't paid enough, uh, probably enough attention to what's going on around the league, other than to, to see where teams are in the standings and and who's doing what. Um, but you know, you look at that North Division. Like, there's a reason. Okay, look, Drysaddle, McDavid, Matthews, Marner, all those players. They are highly skilled players. Don't get me wrong. I'm not taken away from what they do. But let's look at that entire seven-team division. It's seven teams. It's not eight like the other three. It's just seven. They're not very good teams, let alone defensive teams. You know, like, so of course you're going to be able to put up bigger numbers against them because you're playing those same six teams all year long. That's That skews the numbers. So, okay, great. 
Dreisaitl and McDavid are off to a great start. They have so many more points than everybody else in the league because they're so much better than everybody else in their division. Like they're not facing, you know, you look at, you know, and, and John Cooper said this at the beginning of the year, the teams in the central play probably the best overall defense as a whole compared to the rest of the league. And that's including, you know, a Detroit team that's not very good. You know, so the, the teams in this division, Dallas and Tampa Bay and, and Florida has been up there, too, this year in terms of their numbers of goals against. And that doesn't mean that it's not because there's not offensive players in this league or in this division. It's because the teams in this division are just more dedicated to playing good, hard defense than maybe some of those teams in the north. So that's going to skew the numbers as well. Uh, this will be the most tainted, I think, voter situation uh, of any year for obvious reasons. Uh, and the other thing, of course, to keep in mind, the Vezina is voted on by the general managers. The Norris Trophy, along with the Hart and the Selkie and a couple other awards, are voted on by the Riders Association. Uh, so that's a larger pool for the Riders as compared to the general managers, because general managers, it's 31 guys voting on it compared to 150, 175, whatever the number is going to end up being for the PHWA. Uh, so it's a, it's a lot different voting pool too, but I, I think this of all years is going to be more tainted than it has been before. Uh, and then even, even then, can you, can you rely on advanced numbers because it's still against the same six or seven opponents all year long? It's a great point. And that's why I think this year it's, it's going to be interesting to see. I will say this about Hedman, and then we can move on to whatever else you want to talk about when it comes to actually the back end, I think is an interesting conversation you and I can get into with the Lightning with McDonough. Don't know how long he's going to be out. Is this an opportunity to see a guy like Borgmany a little bit more? But I will say this about Victor Hedman. He has made Jan Ruta <laughs> a regular in the National Hockey League. Not, not just that a regular, Greg. He a top the team with plus minus. Yes. So listen, Jan Ruta might be doing some very good things. When I watch Jan Ruta play, I don't come away thinking, man, oh man, this guy is uh, a game breaker. Victor Hedman has allowed that guy to find playing time consistently on arguably the best team in the league. Kudos to Ruta for doing a lot of that. But Victor Hedman is a beast. And I think we need to keep that in mind when evaluating defensemen. You know, and, and with defensemen too, like there's, it's always a deep pool when it comes to voting for the Norris. I think Victor Hedman stands far and above all of those, like all of them. I, I think that he's, I don't think there's a defenseman playing the game right now who is in the same, at the same level as a Victor Hedman. I mean, he's you know probably at the peak of his career right now and he's still getting better. Think about this. Think about this. As you were talking, the lightning have two legitimate MVP candidates on their roster and not one of them is a forward. Yeah, it's a great point. You can make the case that Victor Hedman and Andre Vasilevsky deserve to be in the running for MVP. Probably won't get it. We understand this. When's the last time a, a defenseman won an MVP? I uh, want to say Chris Lidster. Pronger. Was it Chris Pronger? Pronger? Okay. Lidster never won the MVP. Which is amazing because that guy was just nails. But think about that. And we always talk about the, the depth this Lightning team has. And on most occasions, Braden Points or Kucherov may be in that conversation here and there. But I think for the reasons you gave about Hedman, for the reasons we just gave about Vassi, that's unusual that for an MVP award, not only do you have multiple guys on your team, but both are probably not at the forward position. And they won't even get yeah. a snip of it probably. That's no, no they won't. They won't. It, especially they Hed, Hedman won't. Vazzy might. 
I think Vassy will. I think he will. I don't think I don't think Hedman's not. I don't even think Victor Hedman's in the conversation. You're right. We haven't talked about his name in, in the MVP race because it's well, we did it now goals. on this show, but uh, we yeah. need more of it nationally, and maybe that'll start to uh, see. These these are things when we have national guests on, and when we talk to them, we have to start bringing it up to them because I do think it gets the the wheel spinning a bit. And I'm not saying it can make a huge difference, but at least they can come out and say, oh, you know, that's a, that's a pretty good point. And then next thing you know, it's on the on NHL Network two weeks from there. And then they make it seem like it's their own idea, which is hilarious. <laughs> but we won't we won't digress. Well, sadly, that's where we are as a uh, <laughs> as a media, as we just take what other people say and try and pass it off. Or some some do it more than others, um, unfortunately. Uh, but that's kind of where we are at. Um, let, let's get to our questions. Um, you know, yeah. we're, we're kind of. Uh, coming up on it here a little bit. So let's get to the questions that we have. But before we do, we have to make sure we mention our sponsor, which is manscaped.com. You've heard us talk a lot about manscaped.com. There's a keyword if you use bolts uh, at manscaped.com, you get 20% off and free shipping. Hey, Greg, I, I got to tell you, you know, I, I have the Weed Whacker and the Weed Whacker, first of all, great marketing name for a product. Um, but you know, I, those unsightly nose hairs, this is what the weed whacker has done for me. I like to try and pull those out because I can't stand them. Right. So I just pull them out. A lot of times my wife thinks I'm picking my nose. I was going to say, I sometimes I'm not. Well, sometimes I see you at the game. (laughs) I see you digging for gold, but you're telling me you're not digging for gold. No, I'm trying to get those dang (laughs) nose hairs out of the way because they annoy me. Now, now that I have this, the weed whacker and take care of that, my wife doesn't give me those funny looks anymore. And now yeah. you'll be spared of having to see me at games because that's how great it works. Yeah. You know what? Uh, that is one of the pet peeves of mine with, um, you know, because listen, we always, I think, have a high bar for the females in terms of, you know, being properly kept uh, nice. And I think for men, we've got to do the same thing. So whether that's ear hairs, whether that's the nostrils, whether that's the unibrow, <laughs> you need to get a little bit of manscaped in your life because it does wonders and your significant other will appreciate that about you. Yes. I know. I know my wife does for she sure. Does. So right, again, that's uh, that's manscaped.com. Use the keyword bolts. You get 20% off plus free shipping off of any order. Go check out their line of products. It's really good stuff. Speaking of good stuff, Good questions. As usual, we have coming in. Uh, I, I love uh, this one. Drunk Kalorn uh, is the name. <laughs> He's uh, playing like Drunk Kalorn this year, by the way. He's been phenomenal. Rays of our lives is the uh, the handle name. Love that. Um, what can the team do to get Stamkos more opportunities at five on five? Opposing teams are keen in on him even more than usual. Uh, well, because there's no Nikita Kucherov. So... Uh, Stamkos and Point are probably the most two dangerous offensive players behind Nikita Kucherov. And as far as trying to get Stamkos more five-on-five opportunities, I I mean, look, this has kind of been a trend with Stamkos over the last couple of years is that he gets a ton of points on the power play because of that shot that he has and and playing with some pretty talented players. So they kind of skews the numbers a little bit. And let's remember, too, that Steven Stamkos has – let me phrase this the best way uh, just sort of tweaked his game a little bit to where he's sacrificing some of his offensive numbers 
to be a more well-rounded player. And I'm not going to compare him to Steve Eisenman, but we are very familiar with the story of what Steve Eisenman went through, transforming from a guy who could score 160 points a year, but the team would lose 50 compared to a guy who would drop down to 85 to 90 points a year and the Red Wings would become a cup contender. I'm not comparing Stamkos to Eisenman, but it's, a, it's the same sort of philosophy in mind with him. He's become a, a one of their well, he is their top face-off guy. That's a big part of his game that he has added. I mean, he went 15 for 20 against Florida on Sunday, including six for six in the defensive zone. Uh, you know, that kind of tells you where he's really kind of rounded his game out. So has that meant he's sacrificed a little bit five on five? Maybe, maybe that's the case. Uh, but the other thing is, is, you know, when he's been playing with Anthony Sorelli, as he has been for the last little bit, Sorelli gets tougher uh, matchups defensively because of his his selkie um consideration his selkie pedigree that he has so the matchup's a little bit different i thought it was interesting in sunday's game where stamkos was put out there with Braden point uh, as opposed to anthony sorelli as a center so you had Kalorn with Braden point and steven stamkos i think that's the first time this year if memory serves me that we've seen stammer with Braden point and that maybe yeah, it gives an opportunity to kind of, you know, add to his five on five play. I agree with you. I, I think some of this depends on who he's playing with. If he's playing with Kucherov for any period of time or Braden points, I think you're going to see more chances five on five because those guys create not only with their stick, but with their speed. But I think when Tampa Bay moved Stamkos playing with Sorelli and Kalorn at times last year, I think that did wonders for his game. Stamkos, I don't want to say he's more of a grinder at this point in his career five on five than at any point. But I, I think you can make the case he's comfortable doing that. And so I have no problems with his game at all. You mentioned the faceoffs; It's up. I mean, his even strength points this year, he's got 17 out of 30 possible points. So, I mean, he, he is contributing five on five. Uh, understand the teams do game plan uh, against Amcos too. It's they understand what his, his bread and butter is. And, you have other guys who are having solid years this as well. Um, so I think you have to spread the wealth around a little bit when you're evaluating Stamkos. Uh, understand, I think he's been really good on the power play with that shot. I think the one-timer is back. I've said I, I think he's playing some of his best hockey of his career. So that may not be translating totally five-on-five, five, but I think he's doing other things. I've been happy with his play. I'm not going to complain about Steven Stamkos this year. Yeah, and to your point about becoming more of a grinder, I mean, we are definitely seeing him more involved in the forecheck situation, whereas opposed to years past where maybe he would kind of hold back a little bit, waiting for somebody else to win the puck and get it to him to shoot, where now he is, you know, you consistently see him, whether it's the F1 or the F2, getting in deep on the forecheck and trying to win pucks as opposed to waiting for somebody else to do that and then put himself into position. So that probably factors into it a little bit as well. He doesn't he doesn't get to the dangerous areas as much because he's a guy, because we know the lighting system is set up. It doesn't matter if you're the center or the winger. It's all about where you're at on the ice when the puck gets dumped in. That's your F1 who gets in deep. Your F2 kind of gets in there for support and your F3 stays high. So that's kind of where, you know, if you're – deeper in the four check on a more consistent basis. Maybe you don't get to those higher danger areas where you can get that shot off a little bit. And uh, so I think that factors into it a little bit as well. This is an interesting question from our friend Prezemic. Uh, and it's in regards to Andre Vasilevsky and, and he, he leads it off with, I don't want to be rude on one of my favorite players, but do you agree with me that Vasilevsky should study English more or don't talk to the media? For me, it's not that entertaining to hear a guy who has troubles to speak in English lately is 
he was irritated. He got so many questions. You could see that before his last question, he's been in the U S for seven years, not seven months. Other European players uh, has at least decent English. I just don't want to see him being annoyed because other people could think that he's arrogant. And we all know that's true. He is not an arrogant player. Uh, you know, having known Vasilevsky for a few years now is at least just from being in the locker room with him, his English is much, much better than it was. And I can tell you, he put the time in to learn English. He would actually stay in uh, Tampa for, you know, a, a little bit extra longer time during the off season to study English and him and his wife, uh, you know, did it together so that they could learn the language better. His English is okay. It's not great. I just don't think he's comfortable in front of the cameras. I don't think it's it, language has something to do with it. And, it, and it leads into it a little bit for sure. Yeah. You um, can tell body language. Is, you know, and, and, and I'll give you the best example. <clears throat> in 2015, he wasn't the starter, obviously. Ben Bishop was still here. Bishop is the one who led them to the Stanley cup final, but game four, Ben Bishop wasn't able to play. So Andre Vasilevsky got the start. He didn't, he doesn't like to talk to cameras. He'll talk to us, uh, the writers, because, you know, we can kind of quote unquote clean up any issues in the language barrier that might come up. And he knows that. And there's a respect factor there between the media and him when it came to that, at least from my perspective. But in 2015, when he got the start, he's at his locker stall and there's a camera interviewing him and he knows he has to do it. You could visibly see his hands shake. He was so nervous talking to a camera because he knows if he loses something in the translation in his mind, as he's speaking, TV camera is not going to cover that up. If he says something, if he has, yeah, a slip, I agree. he comes up with the wrong word. Yeah. So his English is fine. He's just, he's just one of those players who's not necessarily comfortable in front of a camera. And I think that's where you see some of this go off because, because I know these zoom calls can't be easy for a player like him because it's the only access we have to him. That's why we don't see him speak that much. There was even some thought at the beginning of training camp that Vasilevsky wouldn't do any of these this year, but he has, he, he spoke once during training camp and he spoke and a fairness, couple of times after games. I think he needs to, I mean, that's part of their he job. Does. And I, I think, you know, whether I think it's also part of our job to understand there's a language issue and to take that into consideration when you're covering a guy, whether you're quoting something from him or whether you have him on camera. I, I think hopefully he understands that the media is not out there to embarrass him. But I think people generally want to know about the best goaltender in the world. I mean, let's face it. They, they want to know what he's thinking. So I think I'm not offended and I don't even know if that's the right word. I, I don't, I'm not put off by his lack of English. I think he's making improvements. I understand what a challenge that can be coming from another country and trying to learn the other language. As long as he continues to get better, I don't think people should have too much of an issue with, with his English moving forward. I think you, you want to see him stop the pucks and that's his first priority. And then just get a, a little bit better every time he speaks in front of a camera, because eventually he will. He will. And, and the other thing is, too, is that sometimes those asking the questions don't understand that your subject maybe doesn't speak English as well as you do. And you have to kind of slow it down a little bit for them to kind of be able to process it. And, and I think sometimes like this is something I always did with him, especially in the early stages when he just started doing some media without a translator is just 
talk a little bit slower and kind of give them an opportunity to understand exactly what it is I'm asking. And don't use offbeat adjectives. Don't use offbeat words. You know, like he's he might not understand what a word like collaborate means, you know, or something like that. So I at least when I would always interview him and even in, in the scrum situations where there's five, six, ten people around, uh, even just writers trying to get uh, him to answer questions, I would always make sure I slowed it down and didn't use words that might not be translated by him. He might not understand it. So that to me, that's, there has to be a respect factor, understanding where the player is coming from. Wait so, a minute. So you're saying it was more of a respect act, respect factor for him, not you with big words. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Your vocabulary is high. I, I appreciate that about you. I, I do try. It's shocking, but it, it's, it's <laughs> uh, all right. Another one. Uh, Prejamic is loading our mailbag this week. Love um, why did John Cooper mix up the lines again? I really like Johnson at center with that's what he does. Coleman <laughs> and Goodrow uh, Palat with point as well. Gord played really good as a top six forward. And I thought he'd stay there for a while. I know that he scored on the third line. And we just and we played well, but I just like the previous lines more. So as I try and say all the time, lines are always fluid. Don't get attached to lines. Uh, you know, sometimes lines stick longer than uh, a normal shelf life of a line because of how well they're playing. I thought it was interesting that the lines were changed uh, for Sunday's game. I don't wonder, and I, I, I wanted to ask John Cooper this, this question, but we're so limited in the time and, and what we can ask it. I didn't get to this one, uh, but was that a matchup situation? Was that a putting Sorelli in more of a defensive mode to try and slow down the Barkoff line or slow down the Huberto line? I don't know which one he was matched up more. I didn't look up the numbers uh, quite yet, but um, I, I wonder if that wasn't more of a matchup situation. You don't normally see John Cooper do that and changing his lines to get a better matchup that he thinks favors his team because he has a lot of uh, um, uh, trust in any line he throws out there. Um, but so I was interested to, to, to see the lines change for that, but don't ever get attached to lines. Even if they're playing well, doesn't mean they can't be switched oh, up by the next period. You're right. And I, I think, look, John, a lot of people like the triplets. <laughs> John Cooper has moved those guys around, obviously, since the last time they played together. I think he does that for one, I think to keep things fresh. Yes. I mean, it's a long season. I think he likes to see who plays well. I'm going to give you an opinion just because I think that's why you guys listen. You, you want, you want some analysis maybe that you won't get somewhere else. I think when the playoffs start point your first line center, Sorelli's going to be your second line center. Gord will be your third line center. And I think Johnson will be your fourth line center. That's what I think is going to happen eventually. Once everybody is healthy and the playoffs start now, that is all subject to change. And even though I really like, you know, watching Tyler Johnson at times play center. I love Yanni Gord as a third line center. I love it. I think it just gives him so much depth. I don't think you're going to put Point and Sorelli on the same line come playoff time permanently. I think you'll see it at times, but I love having Sorelli right behind Pointy. You know, one, two, yep. three, down the middle like that. And I think fourth line center, to be honest, I think we have to ask ourselves the question, is Tyler Johnson more effective at center playing on a fourth line or playing on the wing in a top nine role? I think it's a fair question to ask, and I'm still not sure I know the answer to it, 
but I think he's definitely more comfortable at the center position. He is. And he said that, and he played there very well between Coleman and Goodrow. And, you know, those two guys will drag you in no matter who's your center, but there's no doubt he played better in those few games uh, in the middle with those two guys. than he did at wing the interesting part for me talking about the fourth line, and I'm not giving Ross Colton the job yet, but the way he has looked, He's got some real chemistry with Pat Maroon. Pat Maroon loves him. Uh, they've been able to utilize, you know, Matthew Joseph. I mean, that line has scored in three of the past four games. I mean, that's that's a to get that kind of production out of your fourth line. I don't think they've ever had that type of production out of their fourth line on a consistent basis. Again, this is a small sample size, and I'm not handing Ross Colton the job. But if that's the case, if he's going to continue to play like that. And what he's played four straight games now. Tuesday will be the fifth straight game. He's going to get more opportunities to do that. He could end up winning that job. And then that leaves you no choice but to keep Tyler Johnson as a winger under that scenario. Listen, that, that's a great point. And uh, part of me is trying to look at this objectively. Do they give, you know, a guy like Johnson and Joseph an opportunity on that fourth line first before Colton gets an opportunity to play permanently? I think if something happens in the playoffs to one of those guys, I think Colton's the first guy in, at least right now. Yeah. The way it's shaping up. And look, we've seen some good performances this year from some younger players, Barry Boulay and, and Jamel Smith specifically. But I tell you what, if Colton continues to have games like he has over the last three, I don't think he unseats Joseph because I think that's the guy that comes out because Joseph, to his credit, has produced a bit this year offensively and he's using his speed. I get the sense, though, that Colton does things a little more consistently from the fourth line that you would expect than Joseph. And I would not be surprised if that move is made sooner rather than later in the playoffs. Well, and then to hear John Cooper talk about Colton, about how he uh, plays the down low game. I mean, that's something that Cedric Paquette did well. And, you know, we've had this conversation. I've written about this a couple of times, how the fourth line has a different look and a different feel this year. So they're trying to find their identity. When you hear John Cooper talk about Ross Colton bringing a down low game, I think that's a little insight into what they think that he can bring to this roster right now. And he has lots of room to improve. But in the early stages, for him to kind of come in and, and play uh, that way uh, in small sample size again, but if he can continue to get better at that and win face-offs because he's won face-offs, uh, he's certainly shown that he has a penchant for doing that. He has a lot of the elements you like out of a fourth-line center. Um, what does that mean for Mitchell Stevens? Uh, typically, you don't lose your job due to injury, but uh, I think that might be a case where – Mitchell Stevens has just been passed on the depth chart, even when he is healthy uh, in terms of who's going to be the fourth line center, because I think Ross Colton has passed him by at this point. Uh, also from Prezemic, uh, thank you for the questions, Prezemic. Who do you think could be the next backup next season? I don't think McElhaney will stay for another year. He's had a rough year and he's 38. Uh, I'd like to see Bernier or Ranta, but they need to be, they need to take a pay cut maybe for Tampa Bay. Uh, they could. Yarrow Holak is another option, but age risky. Uh, it's an interesting question. We know that McElhaney only has one year left on his contract. Uh, there's really nobody in their system that's ready to take on a backup role unless you want to hand that over to Christopher Gibson, who's been on the taxi squad all year, hasn't seen any action, just got into his first game for Syracuse last weekend. Uh, it, it, to me, 
Blake, bring him back? Who? Louis Domingue. Would not. You wouldn't no, bring him I, back? I wouldn't even have to think about that twice. Because of his play, or you just don't you don't want that? Because I, I because of his play. I don't think his play warrants a regular job in the NHL. And there's a reason why, since he left here, he hasn't been a, a regular, even as a backup in the NHL. Uh, he's just one of those guys that's just, he's right in between an AHL goalie and an NHL goalie. And I, don't, I think that Tampa Bay needs something a little bit more than that as a backup. Um, again, I, I know fans fell in love with Louis because of what he did. And, you know, kudos to him for what he did. He, he stepped in when Vasilevsky was injured and played well enough to kind of put his name back on the map a little bit. Um, but I, I would not bring Louis Deming back. Um, is like, you're not bringing Hugo Alnafelt over to be your backup quite yet. Um, you know, they don't, again, Spencer Martin and Chris, you know, Gibson are the only other goaltenders under contract. I mean, to me, I don't want to overanalyze the backup position because when you've got Andre Vasilevsky, you know, you know, he's getting 70% of the starts and he's going to be your guy come playoff time. And the way that their salary cap is structured, especially with the flat cap going forward, there's not a whole lot that you can do with the maneuverability there to bring in a, a quality backup. And you don't need a one B you need a B. And to me, I, I mean, the, the names that, that he brings up there, um, they would have to take massive pay cuts to come here and be a backup and, and, and look, we've said it before, it takes a special kind of goaltender to understand you're not going to play much. You're going to have to keep yourself ready despite starting once every seven to ten days. It's not an easy gig to do. Uh, and guys like Bernier, guys like uh, Ranta, guys like Halak, they're all used to playing more consistent even as a 1B than they would here for Tampa Bay. And I think that has to be taken into consideration. Yeah, I, I see. I wouldn't mind him coming back, and it's not because I became infatuated with his win streak last year. I think you understand what happened there, and the team played pretty well in front of him, although I think he he did earn it. Uh, he was a guy that came to the Lightning at a time when his career was a little up and down. I think they got him on track, and some guys just perform better in certain places than others. I'm not asking him to play 35 games. I think also, too, he would understand what his role is. I think there was also part of Louis Domingue who came here that thought he was still going to be a starter. In the National Hockey League, he got that opportunity and he flamed out. No pun intended there. But I think and I don't know who's out there, by the way, too. I mean, I, this was just a name I threw out there just because of the familiarity and the fact that I think he would be comfortable within the Lightning organization and they know what to expect from him. So it would be more of a I know what you have. Can you hold can you hold this seat uh, for another year or two before we get either somebody in the organization a little bit better or somebody else out there that can that can do the job better than you. I don't have a problem with him. I don't know if that's going to happen. And I'd probably need to see a bigger listy of some goaltenders who would be available because as we know, the cap is going to be an issue as well, probably more so than ever before. Yeah. That's why whoever they bring in is going to have to make not league minimum, but not too far above that just to make it fit. Cause I think McElhaney is 1.3, 1.5, somewhere in that range yeah. off the top of my head. And uh, it would ha probably have to be that or lower, uh, moving forward. And the other thing with Deming is what do you want to come back? I mean, he had a quote unquote backup job here last year and they didn't believe in him enough. They went out and signed Curtis McElhaney. They did. They you did. Know? And that's now, fair. That's the two fair. years, the two year contract, I think factored in it because Louie had pretty much shown that he wasn't going to sign it an extension because he wanted an opportunity to maybe get playing time elsewhere. Didn't materialize for him. So I don't wonder if you're Louis Deming, you look at that and go, I don't want to be back in that situation because of the no, way that not that they treated him poorly, but 
you know, you can't tell me it doesn't leave Listen, a bad taste in your mouth. If that's his take on it, then I don't want him on the team because if it's an opportunity, <laughs> for, him to, if it's an opportunity for him to stay in the NHL and collect a paycheck, who are you sure. to pick and choose? Sure. You know, I mean, this team gave you an opportunity. I, w- I would look at it the other way. They gave me an opportunity to be a starter again in the National Hockey League. So um, if that's his thinking, and obviously you're not saying it is, but if that's his thinking, then you know what? I don't, I don't want you as a backup. <laughs> Yeah, the, the game of musical chairs with goaltenders is always is. interesting in the offseason because there's only so many seats in the circle. Uh, all right, last question here from Nancy. This is an easy one. Uh, is there a game scheduled on Sunday, March the 28th against Her- uh, uh, Carolina? Tampa Bay schedule doesn't show up, but my fantasy schedule does. Nancy, always trust the Lightning schedule or the league schedule because, yes, that was a game that was originally scheduled. It was supposed to be a back-to-back Coming up on Sunday, they were supposed to play Saturday in Carolina, Sunday in Carolina. That was one of the games that was moved when the shuffling took place. So whoever the fantasy schedule you're looking at hasn't made that update into their system. So that's why it's still showing up as there is a game. Whenever you're looking at it, if you're a fantasy player, if you're into that stuff, make sure you check the league's schedule because that's going to be the most accurate. Of course, having said that, it's still showing Tampa Bay and Florida as playing on May the 7th, which is a game that has to be moved uh, as well to, to some point. I, I would expect that that's going to have to take place here pretty soon to reschedule that game. But, you know, just keep an eye on, on the league's official schedule because things have moved around quite a bit. And, and it can be a little confusing because of how many games have been moved because it's not just been the postponed games that have been affected. They've moved games around. This is why Carolina and Tampa Bay played four straight games, um, you know, late February was because of this. Man, I, I can't even figure out what the schedule is this week, let alone uh, in a month or two. So I, I you're blowing my mind here. It 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 feels it feels like we need that that gift that goes around with the mathematic equations kind of floating around, and the woman who kind of looks like Julia Roberts. I don't know if that's who it is. Kind of looking confused. That's kind of what this whole situation with all the schedule shuffling has been. Uh, and not just for Tampa Bay, it's, it's been for Dallas, it's been for Vegas, it's been for, I mean, the, you know, the Bruins are in, you know, protocol right now, and they've had to move a couple of their games now. So um, it, it is confusing. Just kind of keep up to date with what the league schedule puts out, because that's the one, that's where it's coming from. And shame on these other, you know, fantasy outlets or whatever that haven't updated their schedule yet. So uh, that's what it is. All right, Greg, as always, uh, a lot of fun. Uh, we'll, we'll get together again here uh, in another week and uh, hopefully put out a product that people like to listen to because even talking to you, I like to listen to it. You know what? I, I, I don't mind that, you know, especially if I'm out doing some yard work. I put on our podcast. I listen to it. Make sure you rate us as high as you can wherever you listen to podcasts because the only way we can keep doing this is if you listen and give us high marks. And why wouldn't you? And, and the feedback is great. Uh, anybody wants to email me, eric at lightninginsider.com. The questions are great. Continue to use those. The easiest way to do that is to use the hashtag AskEE on Twitter. Uh, all right. For Greg Linelli, I'm Eric Rowlandson. This has been the lightninginsider.com podcast. Rate, subscribe, share. Don't forget about Manscaped. Use the keyword bolts for 20% off for free sh- and free shipping at manscaped.com. So until next week, Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. 
Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.